0: had a perfect answer for that
1: this is the first time the answer hasn't been perfect and it's really thrown me for a loop (laughs) (laughs) i'm like oh i don't know what to do with this
0: oh man this has been
1: a terrible interview (laughs) okay your words Welcome and thank you for listening to Almost, Almost Famous, the podcast where actors, writers, comedians talk about the ups and downs, ebbs and flows of working towards making it in this crazy biz and how they're almost, almost famous. I'm your host, Daniel Acker, and today's guest is a phenomenal actor and comedian, Mr. Daniel Robbins. Hey, Daniel.
0: Hey, Daniel, how are you?
1: Yep, this will be fun for the listeners. <laughs> they like, thankfully, I think we both sound different enough that they'll be able to pick out who's, which Daniel is talking.
0: Yeah, hopefully.
1: We'll see. Yeah, I guess people can write in and complain and be like, this was just the host talking to himself the whole time. Yeah, they'll mail a bag of letters to you Mm -hmm. at your P.O. box. Yes. Because they know you
0: have a lot of hate mail. You can't have your address online.
1: You get it. And before the podcast, I would get hate mail. I don't know why. It's just I have one of those those phases. Well, I've known Daniel for quite some time. uh, And in that whole time, I've always been... Impressed and amazed with the sheer talent and kindness and wonderfulness this man exudes.
0: Oh, thank you, man. The, the feeling is mutual.
1: Great. I got what I needed from this podcast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, well, it was nice talking to you and catching up for yeah. two minutes.
1: Just a quick ruse just to get my other friends <laughs> I find talented to just verify in a recording that they also think I'm talented. I'm yeah, good. you don't
0: need therapy. You just need validation. That's yeah. really all it boils down to.
1: I think that's a great bumper sticker. You don't need therapy. You just need validation. Let's jump into it. I was thinking about this and it's realized we're all kind of pursuing acting and comedy and quote unquote making it. But I don't really know from my friend's perspective how they actually feel about the potential of fame and fortune. Like, have you given that much thought? Are you, are you kind of like, yeah, let's do it. Let's get that fame and fortune. Are you like, mm, I'm good without it?
0: It ebbs and flows sort of like what you're talking about before. Where like, and especially right now, it's sort of you're reevaluating your idea of what success is and what fame is and, and that sort of thing. Cause I mean like people on TikTok are famous, you know what I mean? Uh, So, and have a lot of fortune as well. So it's like, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I have given it thought, but I'm trying not to like make that the end goal. Because I don't, I don't want to be sucked into that world of chasing something that's not ultimately going to fulfill me in any sort of way.
1: But yeah, with the with the fame question, I guess that would go into how do you personally define success for yourself?
0: I had a really hard time, especially starting out in LA and with acting and comedy, where like for a long time success was always like that next ring of like what's what's the next thing that I can achieve. It was like. I want to be performing all the time. That was like success to me. And then when I was doing that, it was like, I want to be, you know, on a TV show. And then once it was that, I was like, I want a guest star. I want a series regular. I want to do all this stuff. And then like the more like you continue in that rat race, and especially now since everything's going on, it's made me reevaluate that success is essentially just being able to like pay my bills, take care of myself and my family. And then like have a little bit to a lot extra.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And I think it is something that you kind of learn through this business in time that you can, there's always the next rung. There's always the yeah. next thing, which I feel like there's definitely two sides to it. One side is like, that's great, always have kind of the goals and strive for stuff. But the danger is never taking the moments to reflect and be content with what you have accomplished or where you are at.
0: Yeah, and I think, like, I'm definitely one of those people that's never fully content with where I am. Like, I'm, I'm like, totally in that, like, house Slytherin if you're a Harry Potter fan or, like, a total Capricorn if you're, like, a, you know, astrology person. But, like, I'm always, like, striving for the next thing in the ladder. I'm never, like, fully content, but I've had to learn that, like, minimizing those goals and, and not – shitting on myself for not being the next level of successful is is probably the the lesson i learned for that
1: gotcha where do you think that comes from that like never quite being satisfied that hunger if you will
0: i don't know it's probably a lot of things i i mean i grew up like pretty poor like like until like my parents divorced my mom was like a single mom and we moved out to california and like struggled a lot it's like lights being turned off we were evicted from our home. And so I think there was a lot of stuff like that that made me feel like I don't want to experience that. And I don't want other people to experience that from me. You know what I mean? Like family members and things like that. So I think a lot of it comes from there, but I also think a lot of it just is a personality DNA thing where I just, I have that like addiction to getting to the next level of whatever that thing is.
1: What's interesting that like, I've, you know, I've heard this from other people, people who, you know, grew up maybe in harder situations financially. There is that drive of like, always producing, always creating, but then you also have it paired with what some might call a not so secure financial field you're going into. So those are kind of like almost at opposites. Like some people might be like, well, I'm just gonna be a lawyer. I'm gonna get a good job and I'm gonna be secure. But you kind of were like, I'm gonna strive, but I'm also chasing a passion and I'm doing Yeah, and I
0: and I think there's like a part of me that I realized as an adult too that was like mildly comfortable in those uncomfortable situations because I grew up in like a situation where it's like, well, I don't know if we're gonna pay the water bill this month, you know? Like as an adult now, I don't freak out over those sorts of things. Where I think, you know, other people have a little bit of a harder time with that. So I think that was that side of it has been easier for me with like pursuing comedy and acting I've never been that type of person to like really sweat that stuff not that you should be that type of person that's probably more of a defect (laughs) it's a positive thing but uh, I also think that some of it is just what you're exposed to you know like growing up when you're in those sorts of situations and you see people on tv who have it all it's like what people are you seeing growing up are you seeing lawyers and doctors who have that stuff or is your only outlet like Seeing people on TV making it, like actors and musicians and things like that, too. I think it's like partially that as
1: well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, as a as a kid growing up, your kind of heroes would have been the comedians on TV, would have been the actors and performers.
0: Yeah, and I think that's largely what led me into that. And then, you know, there's also like, I was the kid who like kind of disrupted class a little bit. You know, and so I didn't do too well in school. So I, I didn't think I was going to become a doctor. <laughs> you know, uh, that's part of it too. I mean, really, we're really unpacking my life right now. Great, I like I am in therapy, which is kind of ironic.
1: <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll bill
0: you later. Yeah, great. Or um, just give me validation.
1: Yeah, you're you're great. You're doing great. <laughs> if you were disruptive in class, were you disruptive in like just a like? kind of shitty way or were you more of uh, the class clown quote unquote or yeah
0: yeah i was like definitely the class clown and i actually like had beef with the people who were just disruptive for the sake of being disruptive i thought that that was like if you're gonna do it like be funny or be like a smart ass like don't just do it like that's fucked you know pardon my language but you're good. Um, yeah i i was always that kid that wanted to make everyone in the room laugh
1: I also feel like in, especially growing up, if you have any type of feeling where it's like, you have so little control that in those brief moments when you can make a classroom full of your peers, and sometimes like even the teacher laugh, it was like this instant like, oh, this is some real like power. This is something. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I like, I remember discovering that my parents went through a really nasty divorce and we were kind of. Traded back and forth. And I, so I went to a lot of different schools from like fifth grade until ninth grade. But I remember in fifth grade going to a new school in Mississippi, which is where my dad lived, and discovering that I had that power to like captivate a room. I was doing a Steve Irwin impression. And I remember like people watching me and laughing and thinking it was the greatest thing. I was like, okay, cool. That's all I need in life is like that little thing. And then that just carried over until I'm 32. And I'm still trying to do impressions to make people laugh and like me.
1: (laughs) Hey, I mean, some people spend their whole life trying to find the thing that they, they love. (laughs) But uh, speaking of impressions uh, for any listeners that don't know, Daniel is a accomplished and a really good impressionist. You can see him doing a ton on his Instagram. Like when did you kind of like get that sense? Like, Oh, I'm I'm pretty good at mimicry and impressions.
0: I I didn't realize I was good at impressions until actually, like, last year. But, like, I did a few, but I, I knew I could do, like, voices. And every now and then it would land on, like, a person. Uh, and I've always been really good with hearing an accent and being able to replicate that accent and that sort of thing. Uh, but it wasn't until last year that I really – around this time last year that I was like, I'm going to step this up and just try and – learn as many as I possibly can. And I think I was putting out like one a day, like a couple months. Where it was just like learning, 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 and then at this point I'm like, I, it's relatively easy. There's some people that I can't get, but there's for the most part I can do a lot of that
1: stuff. What was like the impetus to like really dive into impressions?
0: Uh, I did an SNL tape last year, and I sent in like four or five impressions. And I was like, I like these, but I feel like I could find some better ones to do if I have to do another tape at some point. Uh And that was sort of like the jumping off point. And then once I got going, I was like, oh, this is just really fun.
1: Gotcha. So it started off as like, uh, all right, I want to get a little better at this. And it becomes like, oh, I just actually love doing this. Yeah, exactly. I kind of feel like, as someone who's also sent in some SNL stuff and I'm not, nowhere near as good at impressions as you are, it's this weird feeling because I feel like impressions are always kind of thrown in this, to me, the same box as like being able to sing really well or yeah. certain things where it's like the, the feeling or the thought attached to it is everyone's like, oh, that person's just born with that gift. And right. I think it's good to have a little bit of the innate ability or the good ear for those things. You're kind of showing like, you gotta kinda do it daily. You kinda have to exercise this muscle. It's
0: like massively all in muscle memory. Like there were like, especially for a long time, there were impressions that I could do and then like a few days later, I couldn't do them anymore. You know, you know like you learn it and you're like, I, I lost it, I have no idea. But it's like largely in muscle memory.
1: Yeah, what's your personal process with kind of dissecting a person and doing the impression?
0: I mostly listen to the voice, it's it's changed. So like early on it was finding ones that I could just do that I could kind of mimic their voice. And then now it's shifted into listening to a voice and then I try to find what combination of people they are. And then that sort of helps me cue into that thing. And then it goes into speech patterns and intonation. From there it moves into like physicality and things like that.
1: So That's you start sort of very process. much very much inside out you're very much going like let me just kind of listen to the voice until it like trips up a thing in your brain where you go that's like i'm sure there's now you've hit a point where you've you've done and have so many in your wheelhouse where you're like oh this person actually sounds a lot like this other impression i do maybe just sped up maybe slowed down maybe
0: yeah like uh, the the big one recently i i learned how to do an adam driver recently and that's basically um like, it's a mix of Barack Obama, weirdly. And um, what's the guy from Seinfeld who kind of talks like this?
1: Oh, Putty. Like I, yeah. Uh, Patrick Warburton. I mean. Yeah,
0: Patrick Warburton. He's sort of a mix of Barack Obama and Patrick Warburton. With, like, with like a, a really intense speech pattern. And he over-enunciates. So it was, like, that was sort of a fun thing for me to, like, figure out.
1: I think that's great because – as you know and as I, like the people I'm talking to it's like we're so not in the driver's seat for most of this career it's always like up yeah. to someone else or something else but being able to just be like I'm gonna work on impressions and I'm just gonna put them out there
0: yeah and like, you know it's funny it's like that that stuff happens and I'm not like expecting a massive career to come out of being an impressionist but you know you never know when like a gig's gonna come up and They're going to be like, hey, we need this type of voice or whatever, you know, which is like that happened to me last year in December where a job came up and I got a couple auditions just because they're like, we need an interesting voice, you know. So that's like the fun thing is it does go into that thing where like you're never in the driver's seat. Most of the time you're like tied up in the trunk and blindfolded. But it gives you this like sense of like maybe maybe if I can just poke my hole through the back seat, they'll know which direction I want them to go, you know.
1: So, no, they got Adam Driver back there. Yeah, exactly. And a whole slew of other celebs.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm just trying to trick people into thinking I'm another celebrity.
1: <laughs> was there ever a time, I guess, in your career, and this might you know, not be the case since you described that you're never really satisfied, but where you felt like in that moment you, you made it, you done something where...
0: Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of those moments. You know, I... Maybe not like it's like short-lived, where like it's it's this pinnacle moment and like it's like this is so cool. Um, I remember the first time like I performed on the groundling stage. That was like a big moment for me where I was like, this I feel wonderful. And then that shortly dissipated after. And then the big one was the first TV job that I ever did. Uh it's for a show on TNT called Murder in the First. And my scene was with Tom Felton from the Harry Potter series. Oh, right, right. Draco Malfoy. And I remember this moment of like, he, like could not have been a nicer guy. And was like the sweetest man. And then I looked over at him, like going over his lines in between things. And he had this like total Draco Malfoy face. Like while he was concentrating, I was like, this is it, I've made it.
1: That is always nice when you're like, oh, they think I'm good enough. Yes. To work with this person.
0: To and be they- in a scene with this person.
1: And in those moments when you realize like the other person in the scene feels comfortable that I'm in the scene. Like yes. they're not looking at you being like, "I'm sorry, who who is this? Why are we working with this person?" It's like <laughs> they're right there with yeah. you right. like, "Oh, this is just another equally talented great actor I'm working with." Like it's it is it is very rewarding. And it feels very yeah. satisfying. And I,
0: and I found that for the most part like that's the consensus that I've had like with most people is that they are respectful, you know about that stuff and every now and then you get like one person here just like you haven't said anything to me and it's making me feel really uncomfortable but that those feelings are so short-lived where you're like oh i've succeeded i've really made it and then it comes out and you're like literally on screen for maybe three seconds and you're like oh i told my whole family to watch
1: it (laughs) it's like the second you're like oh i made it this is great You just know, like, oh, you're a second away from forgetting that you remembered how great it was, and now you're like, oh, okay, what's next? Uh,
0: Yeah. Well, it's funny. I'm kind of, like, just saying that. I watched The Last Dance, the last episode of that last night. Have you been watching that show?
1: uh, Yeah, we're two episodes back, so we don't spoil it.
0: Uh, No, there's no spoiler. It was just, like, they talked about how, like, the thing that separated Michael Jordan from everyone was that he was able to be present all the time. He never feared the future and never put his past on his potential future. He was just always present. And I was like, that's so interesting. That that's like the skill that I think makes people succeed more than anything.
1: Mm-hmm. Truly in the moment and loving it and doing what you love. I, yeah. I what I love about we're gonna dovetail that. We're gonna go on a little tangent about the yeah. last one, which is a fantastic doc. It's really it takes it takes you back to that sweet time of the 90s Bulls. What I love in the last episode I saw was like, literally, it's like, they're just interviewing other amazing top-tier basketball players. And all of them are talking about like, and then one of us like, you know, didn't even mean to, but we, like, Michael thought we were rolling our eyes at him. And we were like, (laughs) oh no, he's going to kill us. And it's so strange to me of like, these people who are like the top, people in their field at the time know that like they all have to pay like the ultimate respect to Michael. Yeah. Like the ultimate sportsmanship. You cannot give him any slight if you give him anything, which some of these people I think might have just been like, I didn't even realize I did anything wrong. And Michael said, you messed up. And I was thinking like, <laughs> just imagine like us getting to a level of that power of acting in c- comedy where it's like, oh, if a comedian does anything to you, they're, they're demolished.
0: I, I do feel like there is some of that in the improv community, which is, like, really funny to me. We're like, hey, man, I'm, I'm really good, all right? And if you're not going to yes and my decision, just no, I'm coming for
1: you. It's such a smaller scale in scope <laughs> yeah. to, like, the NBA – but I agree with you. Like we yeah, we would do so many improv shows, and you could tell. There's always that performer, and let's be honest, usually a man, who, yes, <laughs> who who would just be like, just the smuggest attitude. They'd steamroll. They'd like overtalk. If you didn't take their suggestion, you could see that glint in their eye. Like I'm gonna out improv you so fast,
0: <laughs> <laughs> which is the dumbest notion in the world, and it's so funny. Uh, I'm like saying I'm gonna out team play you. Like,
1: what? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm gonna make you look so good that I'm gonna shine so well. <laughs> yeah, the improv world is such a strange underbelly of comedy that like no one respects and everyone respects. It's like this weird world. Yeah. It's like no one respects it until it
0: works. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah. Like, if you're on a set and, like, you know, they're like, oh, great, you're an improviser, cool. But then if, like, you say a couple things that are really funny that were, like, off script and you're like, oh, that guy's great, you know. But until that moment, like, you're just kind of just a guy who does that thing.
1: Yeah, it's it's like being a magician. Yeah. It's sort of like, if if you're like, yeah, I do magic, everyone is hesitant to believe it's good. They're like, oh, God, this is some lame person. And then you do a trick and it's amazing. You're like, oh, shit, this guy's good at magic.
0: And I actually, when I was teaching improv, I would associate those two things together a lot. Because a lot of it just comes from, like, surprise and being able to, like, mitigate people's expectations of what you're going to do.
1: So you said one of the big moments that you felt like you made was performing at the Groundlings. Was that yeah. just in one of the shows or was that when you got into Sunday Company? Like,
0: Yeah, it was when I got into Sunday Company, which is like really funny that that's like the story of when I felt like really great. I got to do like my scene and it was really fun. So I did that and it went really well and just was like, this is the greatest moment I've made it. I'm on the same stage that all my heroes were on Phil Hartman and Will Farrell and Will Ferrell. Yeah, Melissa McCarthy, Chris Smoig, all these people. Uh, and then the next scene that I did was something that our mutual friend Matt Cook wrote uh, where I think I dropped probably six or seven lines out of just like pure nerves. <laughs> and I was like, okay, this is the worst feeling in the world.
1: Live sketch comedy can do that very rapidly to you. Like as yeah. someone, I also was on in Sunday Company, not the same time as, as Daniel, unfortunately it would have been great to work together. But you do a scene, kill it you're on top of the world theater packed full of people laughing and then you literally at times could like run off stage change come back on and bomb so horrible. <laughs> it's like there's like little yeah. there's like it's a like goldfish memory for the audience they forget how much they loved you a second ago because now they hate you and now they're yes. so mad at you for existing
0: and then you can't win them back like that's the that's the really beautiful part about sketch comedy is like if you have something good, at least put it first because you'll get that laugh. But if you do something absolutely maddening to the audience, you'll you'll never get them back. They're gonna hate you every time you come on stage.
1: Going through Sunday Company, what would be your biggest positive and potential negative takeaways from that process?
0: Positive is always two things. It's just like the friendships and the people that you meet through there. And then also just like a matter of repetition, you know? you can't maintain and build a muscle unless you're doing it constantly. And that was the benefit of doing that and like doing it on your own terms, sort of, you know, uh, being able to like, this is mine. This is what I wrote. This is what I'm performing. And then the negative part for me, I was so young going through it. I was 22, 23, no 23. I was 23 when I went through it. And, and I think it like really kind of psychologically did a number on me due to like you're comparing yourself with all these other people who have really found their voice. And then people are telling you to find your voice, which like if you ever want to not find your voice, just have people tell you, you need to find your voice. <laughs> it's like a really difficult way to work through that. When you are young, especially in the comedy world, there tends to be a lot of like jokes about that, you know, like, Oh, you're just a baby. You're just this, you're just that. So that was like another psychological thing that like kind of, pushed me into doing different things and stuff like that. But yeah.
1: It creates maybe a little chip on the shoulder of like, oh, you're just young. You don't quite get it. And you just want to be like, well, there's a difference between being young and naive. There's a difference of just being like, yeah. I just happen to be chronologically younger than you, but I might have also have had interesting experiences in a life. And
0: that was a big thing for me is a, I won't say who, but there's a director who said, that I needed more life experience which I, I hate that note for anyone if you spent you know 12 weeks with this person max you know and then I don't know maybe like 15 minute increments here and there not even really spending that much time with them it's hard to say that to anyone because you just don't know what their life experience has been.
1: I feel like I feel like I start most of my sentences with that sentence, so let me start this.
0: No, that's a good way to start a sentence, by saying, I feel like, because no one can shit on you for what you say after you say, I feel like.
1: Yeah, who can, you know, no one can verify or deny it. Yeah. Yeah, one thing that's interesting, uh, little Tana, is doing these, just the quick edits of what I've been listening to, you realize, like, your catchphrases or your, like, speech patterns, and I was like, good lord. I I know like five words
0: (laughs) (laughs) and no one else notices except for you. Yeah. The only person that cares that happened to me a ton when I was teaching where I realized I had full on catchphrases Yeah, and they were not, they were like mildly problematic where I would say like, does that make sense to people? And I'm like, that's actually very condescending to people. (laughs) (laughs) Like, do you, is your, in your baby brain, understand what I just said about how to pass an imaginary ball. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like don't forget for the listeners. He's teaching improv in these moments. He's not teaching like physics or yeah. quantum theory.
0: Yeah, it's it was really problematic. Luckily, I had some like teacher trainers who were like, "Yeah, don't say that."
1: Now with teaching, uh, how long were you teaching for?
0: Uh, I think. F- Five or six years.
1: Do you feel like you enjoyed teaching? Is that something you'd want to do more of, or were you kind of like that was a good period to teach? I'm good.
0: Yeah, I felt like it was really great while it lasted. But I think there's something about being a teacher that inhibits you from being a student sometimes. Hmm. And I I felt like I was getting to that place where like, especially with improv or any art or something like that, there has to come this time where like you're also learning. I felt like I was getting to that place a lot. And so I decided I was going to bookend it and just try to be a student again.
1: But I do find with with teaching, you do hit the point where you're like, I feel like I've amassed a lot of knowledge and it's good to pass that on. But I I agree with you where then you personally go, there's still more knowledge to gain though. And if I just stay teaching, there's only so much I can teach.
0: Yeah. And, and especially like not to knock, any curriculum or anything, you know, the groundlings was fantastic and I really enjoyed teaching and I would still teach a class here and there, but like, it wasn't like I was able to start new classes for different things,
1: you know? That makes sense. Yeah, at what point in your life were you like, acting and comedy is the thing for me?
0: I think my first year, I went to community college for a year after high school. And at the same time I was taking improv classes And I got into writing lab, which is the first writing class of the Groundlings. And during that first year, I passed writing lab. And I was sort of thinking about either becoming a paramedic and sort of working my way through that. And I was studying anthropology, which didn't really make sense, but I liked it. So possibly pursuing something in education or uh, becoming an actor. And then when I passed writing lab, that was a moment where I was like, I'm going to just really give this a go. I hope everyone else had a perfect answer for that.
1: This is the first time the answer hasn't been perfect and it's really thrown me for a (laughs) loop. I'm like, Oh, I don't know what to do with this.
0: Oh man, this has been a terrible interview.
1: Okay. Your words. (laughs) (laughs) Well, with that, it's interesting because I didn't realize that you were potentially thinking of being a paramedic. So if if not acting, then possibly that what, I guess, what was the like itch for being a paramedic? What was the thought on that? I,
0: like helping people which is I think why I went into like teaching and things like that as well but I really liked helping people I was also working as a um, paraprofessional which is like a, a teacher's aide for like special needs and things like that and I I knew that I really really liked that and I liked the feeling of helping people and I was like I'm not smart enough to be a doctor or I don't have the patience really is the
1: and the doctor yeah. needs patience
0: to yeah <laughs> Jesus Christ <laughs> uh, uh yeah, so i didn't, I didn't have the patience to become a doctor, so I was like, maybe I'll go to school for a couple of years and get my you know uh certificate to become a paramedic, and
1: there's that noble intention of like helping people. part of me goes, yeah, I think comedy and acting and performing does help people its it could be escapism, it can be performance, but I also have enough sense to know not to hold it up as lofty as the medical profession
0: yeah it's it's not essential in any way to making people happy or to like for people's betterment it's like if you if you turned off every television and told people like maybe not books books are great but like if you turned off every television and said hey improv and stand-up comedy is not a thing i'm not 100 percent certain that that would be detrimental to society
1: if we if basically was like no more you know stand-up comedy or improv or sketch or comedic shows comedy wouldn't end like people would still be funny you yeah. still have funny people but if you're like no one's allowed to learn any medical procedures and there's no more doctors and nurses that would be very bad because it's not yeah. like someone walking around is just oh my god they're naturally healing like <laughs> someone, it's like someone's naturally funny but you're never like oh that person Look at them just take care of those wounds.
0: Wow. That guy has a natural surgical ability. You know, he he's always known. Since he was like six years old, he's been cutting people open. He's always known <laughs> that he was going to be a surgeon. Uh, although that does sound like a really fun CBS kid doctor, savant. Isn't that Doogie Hauser? Oh, yeah. I guess it is Doogie Howser. <laughs> so there you go.
1: Well, they, they did it.
0: I'm, I'm on the right track. I'm just 30 years late.
1: Now's a part of the show when my good friend and professional insult comic, Raz Clifford, is going to come by. and He likes to take my guests down a peg. Perfect. All right. So, Raz, if you'd come on out. Hello, folks. It's me, Raz Clifford, here to Raz. Daniel Robbins. Wait a second. Oh, okay, Daniel, I thought you were only talking to people you believe would be famous one day. <laughs> Okay, sure. Yeah. Oh, all right. Daniel Robbins. Why not? Okay. Hi, Raz. Hey, Daniel. Oh, my gosh. Look at you. You look like you look like a piece of shit. <laughs> I'm just painting a picture for the listeners. You look like garbage. Daniel's been doing a bunch of impressions on Instagram. I've been really, you know, enjoying them on mute. <laughs> I'm curious, Daniel. Are you doing these things and these impressions so people forget that you have no likable traits?
0: <laughs> yeah that and no personality yeah
1: <laughs> yeah they're, they're hoping that you'll be like is he that celebrity and they go no that celebrity is a great person and they remember it's you i've been working on my impression of you actually i did a little research and this is <clears throat> this is daniel robbins 10 years from now Hello, I'm Daniel Robbins and I'd like to plead guilty to several murders. Boom! That's you in ten years. I'm just <laughs> guessing most likely you look like the type of person who's gonna, you know, kill some people. I think it's pretty accurate. And boom, you got Rez. Okay, I gotta go because I'm getting nauseous looking at this man. All Thanks, right.
0: Raz. I'm sure I'll see you around.
1: Yeah, you'll see him. He's always he's always going down the wrong way in the shopping aisles. It's, it's <laughs> It's his little fu to these times,
0: and and pushing over people's shopping carts.
1: Yeah, he's a real asshole. Uh, thanks for being a good sport with that. I know, I know, he can be such a such a <laughs> such a surgeon with those razes.
0: Yeah, he's a natural surgeon. You know, <laughs> I, I I thought it might be worse. Um, I, I've, Razz has said worse things to me.
1: Speaking of worse things, have you in your career gotten any like horrible advice?
0: I've gotten a lot of bad advice. It's like LA is such a fantastic cesspool of bad advice. And it usually comes with the prerequisite of like, you have to do this thing.
1: Everyone's life is different. Everyone's life paths are different. So the second anyone goes, okay, here's some advice. And this is what you have to do. This is like the only way to do that. It is an instant red flag. It's an instant like, well, maybe maybe that worked for you or maybe you've seen that work in another case but it's not a guarantee whenever someone says hey here's what's worked for me or some advice take it or leave it i'm i'm quicker to be like oh interesting i'll file that away but the second it's like look this is the only way down this path i go yeah i'm going a different way then
0: yeah and most like advice has been like that's good advice i feel comes with that other prerequisite of like you don't have to do this but i'm just saying like it could really help you it could and most of the time that happens and good advice usually partners well with good common sense mm-hmm. you know, like take classes like that's usually good advice.
1: Yeah. The good advice is take a class. The bad is take this class and only this class because yes. this is the best. And then you're like, well, maybe there's other classes. And
0: Yeah. But the big one for me, I guess, was like, find your type, which I tried to do for a long time of like, I'm going to do this one thing. And then I realized that that just like, wasn't, helping me move forward into other things especially as an actor like as you age your type sometimes changes you know uh, I'm like one of those people for sure where like earlier I played a lot of like really nerdy people and then like as time has moved on I've progressed into different things and I've gone through like phases of what is working for me at that point Damn. and Raz Raz was spot on because lately it's been like Real shady murderer types. <laughs>
1: so, have you ever fantasized about that moment when you're going to be a guest on a on a talk show with with you know like what the talk show story is?
0: I've fantasized about that a little bit. I mean, it'd be cool. It'd be really cool to be on one of those shows.
1: Now, with those thoughts of being on a show, do you have a particular story that you're like, this is the one I can't wait to like tell?
0: Yeah, I I have a really fun story. Uh, about, I essentially flagged down a very important member of the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, and told them to put their phone down uh, while they were driving.
1: Okay, let me set you up for the for the story. Like it is a late night show. Like okay, great. Well, Daniel, you know, congrats on all the films you've been doing. Thank you. Thank but I you. understand that you had a run in with someone who's part of the MCU. The kind of the peak of the MCU and in a way you almost went like head-to-head this was like a face-off potentially with this Marvel superhero what was that like I
0: did yeah I did have sort of a a head-to-head with them I used to ride a motorcycle in LA for a few years uh, as a way of kind of yeah it was a very cool phase for me I was a really cool dude for about three years I used to get really upset with people who would be on their phone while they're driving because it's, like, it's very dangerous for obvious reasons. But when you're a motorcyclist, you hear all these statistics about how you're far more likely to be hit by someone like that than any other normal thing. And you're also like very susceptible to being hit in LA in mm-hmm. general. Uh, I was driving through Cahuenga uh, into the canyon sort of over by the Hollywood Bowl. And this guy in this like really nice but dirty Mercedes cuts me off. Uh, And almost essentially takes my spot of where I was. And I got a little scared, which then turned into a problematic thing where I kind of got a little angry. And so I I pulled up next to the guy at the next red light and I flagged him down sort of aggressively and got his attention. And I I put my my hands up to my helmet to look like a, a phone. And I kept slamming it down as if to say, like, get off the phone, get off the phone. Mind you, I have a full face helmet on, which was probably to my benefit. And I won't say who it is, but it was probably the most important person to the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, who looks up from their car in total shock and felt so bad about the situation and profusely apologized through the window and put their phone down immediately and turned it off which then made me feel like a total asshole for being so aggressive about it. But ultimately it was like a positive experience where I had pulled around and done this and they were really apologetic and, and incredibly sweet about the situation, you know?
1: Well, what I like for the listeners, this is exciting. So this person was an important person at MCU. All you get is he had a very nice Mercedes that was dirty, put those pieces together and let just like send in more Letters to my P.O. box on who you think it might be. (laughs) It'll be a nice change from the hate mail. That's very exciting. It's also nice because in that moment, you're truly the hero. You were wronged. You confronted the person and they realized they were wrong and apologized instead of like yelling at you like, how dare you tell me what to do? But I'd say in a way like, the fact that you're wearing the full face covering helmet Kind of like it—it it makes you a superhero in that moment. You're like, I'm—my identity's protected.
0: Yeah, I guess it does make me a superhero. I never thought about it that way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, Daniel, I want to thank you for being a guest today on Almost Almost Famous, and for the listeners, what are some projects you're currently working on?
0: Uh, just doing a lot of impressions. I'm writing a pilot. I'm going to be in a TV show on Amazon uh has yet to have a release date uh, called them covenant
1: fantastic is there a current impression that you're really trying to turn and lock down or nail yeah
0: i'm trying to do a ben mendelson impression which i just posted yesterday it's sort of a um australian gene Uh, it's got a little bit of a leaf um yeah that's that's about as far as i'm comfortable taking it
1: right now that is fantastic though Thanks again, Daniel, for being on. Thank you for having me. I had a blast. This was great. I'm your host, Daniel Ackerman. this has been Almost Almost Famous.